a sore spot with me. My last planned road trip, I was supposed to go to California the day after Easter to go to a conference with my, one of my favorite speakers. Sunday, Easter Sunday afternoon, I get an email saying the speaker's wife had had a medical emergency and they postponed the conference. So I don't want to talk about road trips. I didn't have one. I stayed in Bloomington that week. So anyway, um, it, it was still good, though. Um, and uh, Sadie talking about like she was couldn't figure out what she was saying there. Sadie does not go to the parties during Little Five weekend, so she's okay. She's okay. <laughs> anyway, hey, let me pray, and then we're going to look into God's Word this morning. So, God, thank you um, that your Holy Spirit is real and the invisible world is real. Thank you you've given us your Word, the Bible, um, not, as a, uh, not as something to keep us in line, and it's not something... Uh, simply to help us know what to believe, but it's something, your word, is something that sets us free. And its purpose is to liberate us, to bring us freedom and wholeness and life. And uh, that's why we read the Bible, that's why we study the Bible, because we want to be set free, and we know that you can use it in great ways in all of our lives. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I'm going <coughs> to start off with a a story. Some of you may have heard this, but many of you haven't, but I, I like to tell it because um, it's, it's really, really good for me to tell it for my sake. I want to tell you a story about a hypocrite. Um, I was at a church conference. It was about two, 20 years ago. And uh, it was a conference on like small groups or something like that. And um, so I would have been, I don't know, how old, mid, middle 30s. And they put us in small groups, so everybody, in our, everybody at the conference was either a pastor or some kind of ministry, you know, professional. So I was in a group, and there was a guy in my group, I was sitting like here, and he was sitting across the way. <clears throat> and I'll just tell you how he was dressed. I mean, he had like a, you know, white shirt, button to the top, no tie or no coat. Um, he must have had, I don't know, three or four rings on each hand. You know, gold bracelet, gold chain, every stereotype of an off-the-wall TV preacher you could think of. This guy fits. And uh, it was time to go around, and I just, I was sizing him up. I had him sized up as kind of TV preacher or hypocrite type. And then when his turn came to share about what he, what he did, he's like, my name's Pastor Jim. I'm, I'm, I'm imitating him. I'm not mocking him. I'm imitating him. My name's Pastor Jim, and I pastor the Binding Force Christian Church. And he said it kind of with the da 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 And so I had really pegged this guy. Okay, Binding Force Christian Church, what kind of name is that? And I had kind of, and just his jewelry and the way he dressed and his, the way his hair was combed and plastered down. Maybe I was ambitious because I didn't have as much hair then. I don't know. But I just thought, this guy is a hypocrite's hypocrite. He's all about show. So then, when it was time for us to tell our stories in the group, this guy starts telling his story about how he, where he grew up, the whole horrible situation he grew up in, he spent time in prison, what God had done in his life through prison, how God had broken him and set him free. <clears throat> and as he was sharing, I was realizing the hypocrite was here, not there. Because I had sized this guy up on visual externals and a few words alone. 
he wasn't a hypocrite, I was. And it was, it was a lesson I needed to learn then, and I've probably had other lessons like that since then, none so profound as that, because I thought, he, even as he's talking, I'll just tell you kind of what was going through my head, heart, spirit, emotions, and all that. It's like, oh, he probably doesn't have the education I have, probably doesn't have the spiritual pedigree I have, probably doesn't know the Bible like I know it. He certainly dresses a little bit over the top for a pastor. You know, he's not like me. After all, I'm the standard. Now, please tell me some of you probably think that way sub subconsciously as well. I'm the standard for how you ought to be as a pastor. And then as he's sharing, and it kind of breaks apart my stereotype, and then it starts breaking my own heart, so I'm realizing, that's what a, hypo what a hypocrite I am. Because I'm judging on appearance alone. I didn't even know a thing about the guy's heart. Hypocrite's a word that gets thrown out and thrown, out, thrown around a lot, especially in church circles, because we sometimes understandably get the charge against us, well, Christians are all hypocrites. And the reality is, yeah, a lot of us are. And it's, it's not difficult to be one, because a hypocrite is somebody who says they want to live this way, but maybe lives the, another way. And we're going to talk about Jesus' interaction with some people today where he... Jesus doesn't mince words. He's calling people hypocrites. So what we've been doing the last number of oh, weeks or months is a series through the Gospel of Mark, and I'm just calling, I've just called it Seeing Jesus. And the whole point is I want you to see Jesus in a fresh way, maybe different. If you've grown up in the church, you maybe read the Bible, or you know, I want, you to, I want us to just kind of ask God to give us a fresh look at who Jesus is because the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, I said this before, he, is not, he does not come across as a soft guy. He does not come across as a, as a guy walking around the wilderness reading, reading poetry. He doesn't come across as Mr. Rogers with a beard. He's, he's quite controversial. He's confrontational. Here's some of the things I wrote about Jesus we, that we've seen even so far. Jesus is powerful, terrifying, amazing, explosive, fierce, focused, confrontation, controversial, supernatural, truthful, blunt, disruptive, Sensitive, compassionate, kind, brilliant, wildly free and absolutely holy, full of truth yet full of mercy, misunderstood, rejected, betrayed, mocked, tortured, crucified, supernaturally raised from the dead. This guy is no normal guy. And sometimes we let our own thinking or even culture shift us into a, Jesus is a really good guy, nice moral man. He was not a nice, simply a nice moral man. He was dangerous and incredibly good. Always kind of running right in the face of religion. Wasn't afraid to say what he knew needed to be said. And sometimes we lose that Jesus, the Jesus that's dangerous. So here's where the, uh, starts with we're Mark chapter 7 today. And uh, Jesus already had kind of, the, the drama's already unfolded. The Pharisees, and if you don't know much the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were the religious elite of that day. And uh, they had life figured out, life with God figured out to the point where uh, arrogance really probably reigned the day with them. They, 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 they were good people and they knew it. They kind of controlled things. And Jesus, this is not the first time, he's clashing with them all the time. And, and in doing so, he's writing his death sentence. He knows that. He's not afraid 
to call out the emperor who has no clothes. He's not afraid. So this particular one, and I'll just, uh, um, Mark chapter 7, leave it on this slide, and then we'll go to the next slide in a second. Here's how it starts out. One day the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They really weren't fans of his. They were trying to catch him in something. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, did not eat until they had poured water over their cupped hands. They actually kind of did a fisted hand. and had to touch all of your hands um, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, these Pharisees don't eat anything from the market until they've immersed it, their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as the ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and, and kettles. So they weren't, it, it wasn't, it wasn't because they don't, weren't washing their hands to keep off germs. They were washing their hands as this religious act of see how committed I am. See how pure I am. See how good I am. It was something done to be seen. It didn't start that way. Like most things religiously, even in our Christian life, and you could probably relate to this, some things start with really good intentions, and then it becomes kind of a source of pride, and I want people to see me do this. Because they were all about being seen. <laughs> so the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. So this is a ceremony. So right away, and this is not the first time Jesus and his disciples had kind of bucked the culture of religion. And they said, why aren't your disciples washing their hands? The, the ceremonial thing, it wasn't like, go wash your hands, they're dirty. It was more of, why aren't they doing the impressive thing to show us they really are serious about God? And then uh, on the screen now, I'll put what Jesus reply. And I'm going to read, we're going to read through this twice. The first time, I want you to imagine that you are the disciples. You're on Jesus' side, all right? You're on Jesus' side, and Jesus is kind of somewhere out in front, and the Pharisees are over there. All right, who they, they just said, why aren't some of your, and some of you were the ones that didn't wash your hands, and we won't criticize you for that, all right? So, so this is Jesus now. He says, Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Okay, so they're over, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. I mean, Jesus doesn't mince words here. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And he says to these Pharisees over here, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Okay, so we're the disciples here standing behind Jesus as he's kind of railed against these guys. And we can guess he didn't say it with soft-spoken British accent voice. He most likely was worked up and maybe even yelling when he said this. And if we're the disciples, we're probably thinking one of two things. Go get him, Jesus. Go get him. Or we're thinking, what's he doing? Or we're thinking, I should have washed my hands. I don't know. But we're kind of, we're kind of we like his courage because he's going after these people that have kept us enslaved with these silly, silly rules and traditions. Now I want to read it again. And now I want to read it as if, and I'm not making accusations, that we're all the Pharisees. And we're the audience that Jesus is talking to. 
And Jesus says, you hypocrites. And I'm, I'm part of us here. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas and commands from God. And Jesus says, for you ignore God's laws. And you substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. And if I'm a Pharisee, if I'm with you, and Jesus has just been saying this to us, my first reaction is, ah, I can't believe he said that. Who does he think he is? Is this how you react when somebody accuses you of something that you know isn't true, but you kind of wonder if it might be true? But we're all really good, at least I'm really good. I'm, I'm a really good defensive person. I don't mean athletically, I mean emotionally. I'm really good. And so you can imagine the Pharisees being like, who, who do you think you are? And this very word that Jesus said to the Pharisees, I think it's the word Jesus said to me when I was in that small group situation 20 years ago, you hypocrites. And I'm not saying we always are that way and can be that way. But I am saying sometimes Jesus may need to say that to us, to me, to you. Because we are really good. That's what, that's what Christianity in its purest form is a really good thing and the Holy Spirit is powerful. But when we kind of leave the anchor, we kind of leave away from Jesus, religion takes over and we start figuring out how to posture ourselves and do the right things and say the right things. Jesus even said of the Pharisees, and later on we didn't read this part, but he says, you even use one commandment to negate another one. It's like the commandment says, honor your father and mother, but the Pharisees were used to telling their parents, you know what, I was going to give you money to help you out in your retirement, but I'm going to give that to the temple instead. And that was kind of impressive. Wow, look at their giving. But he was saying, you're using one command to negate another. And think sometimes I can do that. I'm supposed to, you know, I need to do this for this person, but, I, but God says this too, and we tend to always do what benefits us the most personally. Right? Like I may empty the dishwasher in my home. I do do that. Not always, but often. And I may think this, oh, this is such a cherishing thing for me to do for my wife. But the time, sometimes when I do it, I do it knowing or hoping she sees me doing it. Because I want the acknowledgement that I'm doing something good. Right? Well, am I really obeying God's commandment to honor and cherish my wife? Or am I doing it because I want to be seen and affirmed and I want to win some points? Same thing with our money, how we treat people. Are we really treating people because we want to be kind or we're doing it because we know we might get something out of it? We, we all do that. I think so. I do. And so Jesus is saying that when he says you're, 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 you twist the law, you sidestep God's law. Because we know we're pretty good at playing the game. And I'm not saying always, all the time. I'm saying that we have to read ourselves into the Bible stories at times, understanding that we're not always on the right side of Jesus' confrontation. Because Jesus whether he was clearing the temple or ch ch challenging the Pharisees or sometimes even challenging his own disciples, he's not afraid to call a spade a spade. In your heart or my heart, 
Not for the sake of knocking us down and degrading us, but for the sake of helping us see it and set us free. So that's the first part of this scenario. Then he goes on, and the next part, he talks on the next slide. The next part, he makes, he, he uses this word defiled about five times in about four passages. And I, I, I'm guessing none of you have used that word in normal speech in the last few weeks. I don't know, maybe some of you have used defiled all the time. I don't know, maybe it's a cool word now, I don't know. Um, but I can't remember the last time I actually used the word defiled in a normal sentence. But what he says is this, go to the next slide here. Because he, what he, what he, so he got in confronting the Pharisees, and then it says he kind of called the crowds, like he wanted he wanted people to listen to him as to why he just did what he did, and he calls the crowd and he says, "You don't understand." He said, "What defiles you is not what you put in your mouth, because that just goes into your stomach and out into the sewer. It's not about these external behaviors. What defiles you comes from inside of your heart." So it's not about behaving well or looking well or doing religious activities. It's about internal things. Because then he says this, then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. And defiles, I'll use the word spoil. It's like it spoils the milk or it spoils the food. And it, what, it, what he's talking about, it spoils your relationship with God. So it's not whether or not you've done all these behaviors that enhances your relationship with God but it's certain, certain things inside of you that spoils your relationship with God, just like it would spoil a relationship with a friend or a spouse. And he added, it's what comes from inside that spoils you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within, for they are what defile and spoil you. Because, see, the Jewish people, the average ordinary people, had been taught and inculturated by the Pharisees that spiritual... Here's the list of things that spiritual people do. So we could come up with a list of our own. Spiritual people go to church on Sunday. Spiritual people read their Bibles. Spiritual people pray. Spiritual people give money to the church. Spiritual people are, are uh, kind to the poor or whatever. Right? Well... Those five things I just mentioned right there that are all really good things, the Pharisees score 100% on all those. They did, they did those things. So often, if our measures of spiritual behaviors are the same kind of measures that the Pharisees could score high on, they're not the best measures. Because if the Pharisees score 100%, something's wrong with our test, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't pray or read your Bible or go to church or give money, and neither is Jesus. What he's saying is, if that becomes the way in which you think you're earning points with God, something's upside down in your own heart. Because the issue is more what's inside of you and why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you going to church? Why are you giving money? Why are you praying? Are you, is it more because you're trying to make sure you have enough more positive points than negative points in God? Why are you doing it? And what does defile you? He says, well, it's it's these kind of things. And again, I'm not, I'm not accusing or ma I'm just making a statement about human nature. I would think you, you, you'll find yourself somewhere on that list. And again, I'm not saying that to say, oh, we're awful people. I'm saying because sometimes you have to identify what the spoiling agent is so you can get rid of it so there's freedom in life. 
you know, I, 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 there's one friend of mine, one time I was asking him about what sins he struggles with, and he says, well, I struggle with sins, and I said, well, like, what? Well, I can't name one. I don't know of any offhand, but I can name, like, 15. And I'm not proud of being able to name 15. I'm just saying, sometimes specifically, I mean, when Jesus deals with me and with you, he deals in specifics. He doesn't just say, hey, stop sinning. What he might say is, you know what? You need to stop talking to your wife the way you do. You need to stop talking to your parents the way you do. You need to stop exaggerating the truth the way you do when you talk to your friends about that situation. You need to stop spending your money for all about you and not for others. Jesus is very specific when he talks to us. And again, not because he's saying bad, bad, bad. He's not like the red, he's not like the red pen king. Wrong, 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 wrong. But he's saying it because you've got to stop doing that because you will not become the kind of person you want to be if you keep doing that. So when he points those things out, no, he's not. You know, I've talked to people who are anti-Christian anti in a sense. Well, Christianity is all about what you don't do. No, not, then that's, if that's your perception, then we've given a wrong perception because Christianity is more about what you can do if you stop doing the things that Jesus says is blocking the flow of life in you. In you. So, so that's the second part of this, in this scenario. And in Mark 7, there's like four different scenes. We've just done two. So the Pharisees, the hypocrites, who think they're defiled by not doing the right religious activities, then the last two stories of Mark 7, which sometimes, again, some of these stories don't always don't they fit, but they do fit. Mark chapter 7, the lighter part, it's about a woman who's a Gentile. Gentiles were not Jews, anybody who wasn't a Jew, and they were considered defiled because they weren't one of us. So it's interesting the way Mark's writing this, putting all this down. He's showing that Jesus is not going to be giving in to those rules. Now, does Jesus honor and obey the commands of God? Absolutely. But when they become behavioral rules um, that miss the heart of the commandments, then Jesus doesn't care about it. So Jesus goes to the Gentile territory. A woman comes to him, a Gentile woman, an unclean Gentile woman who exhibited none of the behaviors the Pharisees would have think somebody should uh, exhibit. She has a daughter who's being harassed by a demonic spirit, and it says she comes to Jesus and she begs him to cast out the demon. This is a defiled Gentile person. And I won't read the whole story, but by the end of the story, Jesus honors this woman's desperate prayer, because the word beg is kind of this desperation, and he heals the daughter. The next story, you go to the next slide, the next story is a man who was deaf, and the Bible says had a speech impediment, couldn't speak correctly, couldn't speak at all, we don't know. Again, most likely a Gentile, an un unclean person, and if nothing else, the Pharisees figured if, he, if he's deaf and he can't speak, there must be some sin he's done that created that situation. That was often the mindset of the day. But notice here, too, a word that's common in this passage, when his friends bring him to Jesus, they beg him to lay his hands on the man. The word beg, desperation. So you have, and Jesus heals the man, all right? So the first part of Mark 7, it's all about, to some degree, the mindset of people and us when we have this mindset of, of spiritual superiority. I've got it all together. 
I'm good. I do all the right things. I've checked all the boxes off. I score high marks on all the spiritual assessment tests. I'm good. Pharisees, I don't need, I know what I need. And then you've got the last part, two situations of defiled people who are desperately begging Jesus to bring life into their lives. Can you see the, the black and white that is being painted here? You've got people that think they have it all figured out and would never, ever, ever, ever show any vulnerability spiritually because they're doing it right. They're at the top of the chain. And you've got two people over here that are not impressive at all. Matter of fact, they're defiled people. They're desperate. They're begging. Sounds so weak, but let's be honest, the way the Bible talks about it, it's the strongest place you can be. It's this strong desperation of saying, I know I can't do anything, Jesus, unless you act. And those are the people that become honored in this passage. A Gentile woman and an unnamed, deaf, dumb man. They're the ones who are honored in the passage. The Pharisees are the ones who end up like, we don't want to be like them. So how do you become like that and not like this? And on the next slide, just simply the one thing I'll say is this. I'm, You've heard me use the phrase before, is image management. I just saw this morning, this morning? Yeah. Some university in Southern California had paid somebody $200,000, an image consultant, to eliminate a certain part of a news story off of any website and social media they could find. It was like a pepper spraying incident where the campus police had pepper sprayed some people. So they paid this consulting firm $200,000 and all these computer probably geeky people, to find all the places where that story was referred to and get it off there. Because they didn't want any prospective students to be Googling their university. I think it was like Santa Clara, somewhere in California. They didn't want anybody to Google their university and find anything about a pepper spray incident because that makes the campus police look bad, makes the campus look bad. $200,000 to an image consultant to rid the Internet of anything that made them look bad. We don't have that kind of money because we, we, we are our own best image consultants. Image management. We do things, not always, but if you're honest and I'm honest, I'll do things at times because I am my own best PR agent to make sure people perceive me as being spiritually on top of things. When if you knew what was going on inside of me, you would get a whole different read. Now, to me, the more we grow spiritually, the more who you are outside and who you are inside become congruent, but we still struggle with times where we know what's on inside. We don't want people to see that because it looks messy. It looks unclean, and it's kind of vulnerable, and it makes you feel insecure, and I don't want people to think I don't really know how to handle this area of my life, whether it's a money issue, a relationship issue, a sex issue, some issue where it's not, if you saw that part of my life, you wouldn't be that impressed with who I am. Matter of fact, you'd be discouraged with who I am. You'd be critical of me. So we learn how to put on a face. I mean, the, the hypocrite, the word hypocrite actually was first used in the ancient languages as, as somebody who was a play actor, who put a mask on. Um, so that's, so we, we learn how to do this, and we learn how to manage our image with our words, with our actions, and we do this uh, in all kinds of ways. There's times where we don't, we're not even aware we're doing it. But you've got to die, you've got to fire your image consultant, which is you. <laughs> You've got to fire your PR manager. 
And you've got to let who you are be the real you you bring to God and the real you you bring to other people. Last thing is this, this passage that Jesus, this is actually from Matthew. And Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, okay, the Pharisees, they memorized the Bible. They, met, they prayed all the time. They did this. They did all the right things. And Jesus is saying, you have to do more than that, which, of course, the understanding is it's not possible if you want to be in a good relationship with God and a life-giving relationship. So what the going beyond is more, you've got to go deeper in here. It's not about doing more things behaviorally that make you look good. It's about allowing the Spirit of God inside of you to start mining out some things that he needs to deal with. I'm 54 years old, and I'm amazed. It, it seems like it, you know, you would think, or I would hope, or I have hoped, well, you know, I kind of hope Jesus has already dealt with all the stuff inside of me. It's like, but it seems like every year, or every month, where there's something new, it's like, and it's, and if, again, you're like me, maybe you're not. Well, that's just who I am, Jesus. I'm just that way. Well, sometimes we hide behind that. That's just who I am. When it really is, it may be insensitive in how I relate to people. It may be selfish with my money. I don't know. But don't ever be close the idea that God may want to go deeper and deeper and deeper to bring more and more freedom and wholeness to your life. Don't ever resist that. Don't ever think it's done. Because what Jesus wants to do and what he said he wants to do and what he promises to do is he will bring life to you. He will bring hope and wholeness and healing to you. But as long as you block him, which is what the Pharisees were doing, if you block the Spirit of God, you will stay where you are, growth-wise, and you will become more obsessed with how you are perceived by people and less concerned about how God perceives you. So that's the message for today. It's just uh, the Spirit of God um, wants to do so much more in your life than what you've ever imagined, and he wants you to kind of, he wants you to take the mask off. Uh, he wants all of us to take the mask off. So let's pray. Jesus, we, um, I don't know, even just when I finished talking here, I thought my first reaction to myself was, feels kind of heavy, feels kind of uh, challenging. Um, but Jesus, your promise was that your yoke is not heavy, but it's easy. It's not still hard, still challenging for us. So, Spirit of Jesus, would you shine the light into our own hearts where we need freedom and, and the ways in which we protect those broken parts of us. Would you, would you just help us to trust that you love us and you're not trying to hurt us, you're not trying to embarrass us, God, you're not trying to ground us under your foot, but you're bringing light into our hearts because you want to set us free so we can be the people that are full of strength, mercy, power, goodness, kindness that you made us to be. And uh, we're grateful that you do that because you love us. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Um, we finish every week at Exodus with communion, and uh, we do it every week, and everybody's welcome uh, to take. How we do it at Exodus is uh, we'll start singing a few more songs, and you're just welcome to come on up and take. Um, somebody will offer you the bread,
Um, you, you tear a piece off, off you a cup, and you dip it in yourself. It's just how we do it here. Most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to their seats. It's up to you. And like I said, anybody is welcome as a follower of Jesus. Um, if, I always add this, if, if there's some way where you're intentionally giving God the straight arm, something he said to do or not do, and you're intentionally ignoring or not doing it, it's to your own well-being not to take. And again, we don't check who's up or down. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about issues that you're trying to wrestle with, but we don't, we don't check who's up or down and mark you and you know, corner you later. But anybody's welcome at the table um, who's open to whatever you want Jesus to do in your life. So let me pray, and then we'll sing.